Within three years of release, two out of three ex-offenders are rearrested. Clearly, something is broken. It's time we strategize ways to prevent repeat offenses. Our brainstorming session starts now. Welcome to A Prisoner's Pardon. Hello, and welcome to A Prisoner's Pardon Podcast. I'm your host, Michi J. Last week, we started our conversation with Minister Naomi Jackson as she discussed how she got into a lifestyle of crime. Today, we start to hear her turning point and how she now gives back to her community. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, to be able to follow our conversation, please start with our last week's episode before you begin this one. I'll share my chat with Minister Jackson in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor. Tell me something. Do you find it hard to forgive? Have someone said some hurtful words to you and you can't get the words out of your head? Well, I've struggled with this, and I'm sure most of us have, and that's why I've designed something special to help you find peace and comfort. I call it soul therapy. For 21 faithful days, you'll renew your mind and unpack the healing word of God with other survivors in our private setting. There's a whole therapeutic experience waiting for you. Now, the challenge has already kicked off, but you can still join. I love to conversate with you during one of our live fireside chats. To get more details, head on over to Prisoner's Pardon slash pardon challenge. That's prisoner's pardon slash pardon challenge. I can't wait to see you there. Now on to my interview with Minister Jackson. The turning point for you, like when you were locked up the second time or something. Yeah, and it, the second it was, time, because this time I had to send my kids to Chicago. Oh, wow. I had my mom to come and pick up my kids. They asked me what phone, because you know, you get one phone call. The only person that I knew to call was my mother. And mm-hmm. I said, mom, can you come and get um, my babies because they finna take me to jail and I, I need you to come and get them. She was here less than 45 minutes. I ain't never known nobody to get to Milwaukee. That was so, that's a wonderful thing that your mom did because it's getting the kids into child protective services and adoption is so, it's so hard uh, once they're in that system. So thanks to your mom. I thank her for doing that. Yeah. So So, she came and picked up the kids mm -hmm. and they took me downtown and um, processed me and um, told me what I was getting charged for. Then they had me in these rooms, interrogation rooms. I tried to get me to tell other people. They was like, we know that you didn't buy those drugs. We know that the drugs we found in your bedroom on top of your ID wasn't in yours um, because you're a user. And who are you? Um, who are the people that, that that sold the drugs I tried? And I wouldn't give them no information. I was like, you know what? Just take me to jail. That was my house. And so I feel that um, I need to be held responsible. My mother, she was a very wise woman, a Christian woman, but was very wise. So she always taught us to take responsibility of your own action. If you get caught doing something wrong, just be honest and get it over with. And so I took a lot of her her sins in that prison with me this time. That is good that you did that. You Did you start, you know, as you're sitting there in prison? 
um, start remembering what mom does? Yeah. Okay. yeah, because they had me downstairs for at least about three hours before they took me upstairs. The, they processed me downstairs. This is when Milwaukee built that new prison in 1991. Mm-hmm. They built the new one that's down there now. I was one of the first women that was in that new prison. I didn't go to the old one with the cell blocks and stuff. We had dorms. So mm-hmm. the new one, I knew I was going to be gone for a little while this time. So when I was sitting in there, I was thinking, so one day, so they bought me a sandwich. And it was, the bread was so thick and the banana was so thick. And I didn't eat lunch meat. And I was like, I'm not eating that. And she said, oh, yeah. She said, well, are we going to find out? <laughs> she said, uh, sweetie, I know where you think you at. But this- <laughs> Yeah, so she was like, you you don't you don't get what you want up in here. You're gonna do what we tell you to do. And when she got through sitting on the rules now, I was like, I got to get out of here. You know, and then this is when prayer started kicking in for me. I said, Jesus, you have to help me. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I don't even know what's going on right now. And then I said, Oh, they found all the drugs in my house. I wonder if I'm going to get charged with all that. It just has stopped being overwhelming and then not counting that I was having withdrawals. At this time, this is when I noticed that I was addicted to the drugs because I would doze off and have nightmares that I was getting high. Wait a and minute. Was, you didn't know you was addicted until then? No, it was fun to me. I was just doing stuff. <laughs> it was fun. I didn't think that, ooh, because I ain't never been without of it. Oh. So it, it wasn't like that. Oh, one day, oh, I ain't got $20. I'm about to die. Other people would tell me that. But I used to be like, that's not my story. You know what I'm saying? Like, that wasn't my narrative. I got high every day when I wanted to. Uh, When I didn't want to, it was always, I always had access to it. So it was like, uh, that's not my story. One of the girls that was sitting next to me, she said, you shaking so bad. This sweat was wrong. I said, girl, I don't know. I said, I think that's, and, and I was just, ooh, I was just, and so the, the guard, I said, something is not right. And the guy said, you have a withdrawal, sweetie. You was addicted to those drugs. Was I'm like, what? What's addicted? <laughs> so, it's funny, but it's not. But that could happen so easily. We don't know what position we are in until it gets taken away. And you find out how, how yeah, wet like, you're in. Because if somebody had a told me, girl, you could go to jail for this. You get a lot of time. Well, nobody comes to my house telling me that. Life was beautiful. I was able to drink when I wanted to, get high when I wanted to, smoke weed when I wanted to. I wasn't like the other girls that came to my house. And they was like selling their food stamps. I would tell them, no, nah, you girl, keep your food stamps. Here, girl, you didn't think back. you were like them, right? You thought, I'm I wasn't better like than them. that. I'm not I like that. Them. I was in a good, I was in a good girl, place. That's how, <laughs> that's how it works, you know. Go ahead. I mean... That's that's facts. Okay, you yeah, know. I wasn't like them. You know, okay. I wasn't like the girls that came knocking on women came knocking you, on my door that had to turn tricks, you know, <laughs> to get a bag of dope. I'm good. Y'all, I'm better than that. Okay. And, and it's not, and remind you now, I'm the baby and I was spoiled. spoiled. And I have never had to work for anything in my life. So the mm. stuff that I seen them doing, I was like, nah, I could never do that. You know, that was like so beneath, so beneath me, like, uh, mm-mm, no. You were getting I, sober now. You were getting more, just right. knowing what's going on. I'm getting sober, and I'm about to go crazy and lose my mind because remember, the okay. drugs were what kept me all hyped up and 
being able to kick it in. You know, I'm going social, but when I'm sober, I'm very quiet as a church mouse. Mm-hmm. So you would really have to scope me out in the crowd of people. Right. But if I'm high, I'm the party. I'm the girl. <laughs> they like, yeah, Nene is here. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Nene in the house. <laughs> yeah, I, y'all turn up is real. You know, you got now I'm here. Okay. But Naomi, and this is when I discovered that I had two personalities because mm-hmm. Naomi was always so pleasant and Nene always had a problem. And I, I go back to this field to this day that this is when I realized that this is a lot of resentment and bitterness came from grief for my daughter, right? And then the things that was taken from me, violating me. Um, Your innocence, from, yeah. Yeah, my innocence got robbed. And mm-hmm. then the boy that I was going for stole my money. And then I was just sitting in there just thinking about all these things that was taken that should not have been, you know, taken from me. All the things that I wanted to do in my life. And now look where, look where I'm at. Here mm-hmm. I am now in jail. Who would have ever thought he'd go to churchy girl with AIDS and now she's in jail? Right. Who would have ever thought? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> How did I get here? So yeah. I, I use majority of my time in rehabilitation there. Now, downtown, when the prison first opened down there, we had a lot of resources. So they had people, they had women coming in for everything, AODA counseling, mm-hmm. um, church, um, prayer. Uh, and we even had a teacher that came and taught us to help us get our GED. And then we had a, we formed a women's choir. So I was always very active. I had just got, I just pulled myself and stuff. And, and I, 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 my, my, as I was doing these things, my head was getting clear and clear. And it was reminding me of when I was going to church, the way my mother raised me. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I think it all had went dormant for a moment because I was using it. Right. And I had said, I, and I heard other women's stories. They would sit down while I'm writing a letter or doing something to send out for my kids. And they would say, you know, they would sit at the table and talk with me and they wanted to know how I'm coping with this. Like, yeah, I was a, I was really like a motivator for, for a lot of the women that was in there. And a lot of them was in there for prostitutes, for selling their bodies to get drugs and being doing petty crimes so they, they can get drugs. Because you got to remember, this is the early 90s. So cocaine, which they call rock cocaine, was very popular across this nation. It wasn't just happening here in Milwaukee, but it was in Chicago real deep. It was it was in Los Angeles. So all these places now you got people that's hooked on this cook cocaine popping up all from everywhere. Cook cocaine? It's, called, it's cook cocaine. It's called rock. You know, oh, so okay. it's, it's when you cook it up in the tube and it comes out hard like a rock and now you just break it down and bag it. So that was a big hit in the early 90s. And that's everybody was doing it. You know, everybody, people you thought wasn't doing it, they were doing it. It wasn't as bad as it is today because I don't know what they put in that stuff now, but it wasn't like that for us when in, in our era that when we when I was using Okay. A lot of stuff that people are doing now, it's like utterly ridiculous. We didn't do all this. I know a lot of women, if they're in prison, they come out and their relationship is pretty much broken with their children. So no. yours sound like a totally different situation. So when I got home, when I got home from prison, my kids, well, well I had good behavior. So the judge gave me, he let me go after I think uh, three or four months. 
Because the first time he gave me a bracelet, I, I came home with a bracelet on first time. And uh, I couldn't go nowhere. And he told me, Judge West, say, all we want you to do is just go see somebody because it's something that's not like it's a missing link somewhere. And and, and so he sent me to many uh, psychiatrists to, to, to help me to put the pieces of my life back together because he said I didn't even look like <laughs> I belong there. So I don't know what that means. But he did everything. In he probably power. saw your face. I don't know. So but go he ahead. gave me some help. He, he did. He did everything in his power. He said, now all I need you to do is promise me that you will never come before me again. I said, oh yeah, I promise. So when I broke the law, when he sent me home with the brace, with the brace on my ankle, I did that for about a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do that. I could not stand still. I was having a hard time. I was really, I didn't know anything about anxiety at this time mm-hmm. or panic disorders, or I didn't know I was depressed when things weren't going the way I thought they ought to go. I didn't think anything about this stuff. All I knew was I was a big crybaby and I, I couldn't go nowhere and I couldn't do this. And these are all the things that then all of a sudden some say, you ain't got to do that. That's just what he said, do. And I said, what? you're absolutely right. So <laughs> got to do this. That's the end of me. Go ahead. Girl, I broke that thing off my uh, ankle and I started getting high, running all over the place. The police looking for me everywhere. Yeah, so yeah, so then so they oh. called me about three or four months later. One of my friends, her boyfriend, called the police on what? me. What did he what okay? Because because do- I was gonna beat him up. So he <laughs> called the police on me and told them police that they he knew where I was at. Because the police was asking everybody, they was like, You see this person, you, you on the run. A murder case you was on the run, huh? You was a- yeah, and so I was like, okay. So they came and got me. I was in the process of getting high. I was getting high, actually, and they came and got me. And then the second, that third time, this is what the judge said. He said, I'm not going to let you out. You're going to do sometimes if you get time to think about it. And this one, I became the motivator and started, you know, jumping into I have forgot to take that part. This is when I started pouring myself into something. And other than that, like, I need to get myself together because I can't live on a run like this. I have babies out here. Tell us a story how... When you were on a run, like, because you sound so funny. I know it's got to be so hilarious story how you got out of stuff. Yeah, my friend, her boyfriend used to jump on her. And so one day we was in, I was in their house getting high. And because I didn't want to give him none of my drugs, he was like, I'm going to tell the police where you are. Wow. And I said, oh, really? Leverage. I said, okay. <laughs> I said, then got half some more with her and got drunk. And then we both was decided that's what this both of y'all was gonna beat her up. Beat him me up. and her decided to beat him up because she was like, What do they have to do with anything? Because they was into it. Okay. So I was trying to calm her down. So I was like, Girl, forget this. Nigga. Let's just go ahead and kick it. Then mm-hmm. uh, tell him he got to go, you know, because he was staying there. Um, but we wanted him to just come out the bedroom so we can go in there and close the door and kick it and talk and do our girl thing, like, you know, talk and kick it and lay back and laugh and stuff. Mm-hmm. He didn't like that. So he didn't like the fact that he wasn't included in the party. So he was like, I'm finna, I'm finna, and he hollered through the door, I'm finna go call the police on you. That Negro show did call the police <laughs> for real, for real. 
<laughs> and I'm just thankful that we used up the drugs because they was in my system because I would have had another drug case. I'm in the back of the paddy wagon with my handcuffs. I'm feeling on the back of my pocket. There was a bag of coke in my back pocket. Uh-uh. And I'm in the back of the paddy wagon. I said, Lord, I got to get this stuff out of my pocket because as soon as I get You're that, telling I'm the saying, Lord that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I got to get this stuff out of my pocket because that's going to be another charge. It's already bad that I broke that um, ankle off, bracelet off. Mm-hmm. So that's already a charge. Okay. Because the bondsman came and paid $500 for me to get out, but with a bracelet. So I was doing pretty good on my um, going to see my PO and stuff. I was. But I just didn't like to be told what to do. I, I couldn't take that. You can't mm-hmm. tell me what to do, when to go, when to sit out. I just wasn't good at that thing okay. at all. I, I was not <laughs> good with that. Okay. So anyway, I'm in the back of the paddy wagon and I feel my hands because my hands is tapped, my hands is handcuffed behind my back and I felt this bag in my blue jean pocket. And I was like, I'm I gotta get this up out of here. So the whole time they drive me downtown, I'm taking my little finger. <laughs> no, I got they didn't, they didn't search you. They didn't search no, you. I, okay. No, they just came and got me. Okay, when go he ahead. Called, when he called, they was like, we ain't got no representative, no. Okay, well, we got to take you back downtown. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. I'm getting in there and I'm sitting on that little hard iron thing in the back of the where I feel something I'm sitting on. And I say, this is a bag of coke in my back pocket. I got to get this up out of here. Don't you know the whole time they was driving, I was working that thing, girl. I got that bag up out of my pocket and I took it and dropped it on the floor and then switched the floor and took my feet and scrunched it down in that car in the bag in the back of the paddy wagon. <laughs> I was not one thing I was not gonna do is get charged another case. I was not because I'm I'm already trying to get out this one. At this point, I'm trying to get free. This is the bottom line to all of this madness that I was doing. Is that I need to get out of here. You know, you know so all I know. So uh when they locked me in, I was clowning so bad that when they took me upstairs and gave me my shower and stuff, and I didn't like that either. I had a meltdown because okay, so it's about 10 of us, right? And mm-hmm. so when they take you upstairs, you got this big open room. And each got each each space got a shower head on it. And I'm thinking, what is we in here for? And so I'm looking around and the, the sheriff, she said, uh, take clothes off strip. And I'm like, in front of these people, you know what I'm saying? I'm thinking, I, she said, where you think you at? At the Holiday Inn or something? <laughs> you in jail. Uh strip. And so I'm like, I was so embarrassed. Uh, I felt violated. Uh a lot of my my experience came from my emotional side. I, I didn't think I was doing anything to hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. I always gave. You know, I didn't want people to send me their books of food stamps and take food out their kids' mouth. And I feel like I don't deserve this. Right. You know, okay. we all do. Okay, go ahead. I, I feel so <laughs> Y'all have to give me a little break here now. <laughs> <laughs> she said, if you don't take them off, I'm going to take them off for you. So the girl that was standing next to me, she said, she said, Naomi, just go ahead and take the clothes off. And I was in that shower. We all showering and they made hosing us down with the water. Hose. Now I see the stuff on TV. Yeah, me too. I never thought that I would experience that. Uh-huh. And so I was like, 
I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> right. I was just so, it's 10 of us, it's five on one side of the room, five on the other side, but we all in this one big room and they just hosing us down like we animals or something. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so degrading. And, and it was really draining me because I had never been exposed like that before. This opened up a whole nother Pandora box. Now I understand what people say when they say Pandora box. Mm-hmm. So this opened up a whole nother Pandora box for me because mm-hmm. I had never experienced this before. So I was I was really going through it. Not, not, saying, not only was I going through that. That situation, but also the fact that I'm having withdrawals from these, these all these drugs that I have put in my body. And so when they took us upstairs and, and put us in the room, she locked the door and she told me, she said, you're getting a 23 lock-in. And I said, what is that? And she said, because you wasn't down, you didn't do what I wanted you to do the first time. And I had to, I had to threaten you. I'm going to make you stay in the cell for 23 hours. Wow. Oh, my God. You talking about somebody, I was going crazy. I was in that four-bath four, and this is when I realized that I'm a claustrophobia. I was in that thing. It seemed like the walls was coming in, and they was not trying to give me no type of medicine to calm my withdrawals down. No, no, none. I mean, it was horrible. And so, but but after the 23, they lock up. I, I promise I'm gonna do uh get that no more because. That was just, it was just too much for me. And so um, I stayed there for, I think, like three or four months. And and like I said, I participated in all these things that they did. And I got a good letter recommendation from majority mm-hmm. of the volunteers that came. And mm-hmm. a lot of the women were telling me how I motivated them and they wanted to thank me and stuff. So and so uh, that, Judge Webb. Yeah, what did Judge Webb do? He released me. Okay, so did, it did. Was that the a turning point then for you that found that? Yeah, yeah. that was the last thing. Okay. I, that's the last time I went to jail again. I ain't never go back no more. And I had promised them that. I said, if you uh, let me go home to my kids. I said, I promise you, you won't never, ever have to worry about me uh, uh, coming back here and being uh, and being before you. Yeah, so you said, all right, now I'm going to trust you now. Okay. Now, it's not the same. Michelle, I just didn't get caught the second time. But again, I was still hard-headed because I stopped selling so much, but I started using more. Hmm. So um, I used up to 2001, but I never got a ticket. I never uh, went to jail. Uh, hmm. I never, uh, I didn't do any of that. I stayed five years on paper. I paid my restitution off. Mm-hmm. Um and I was on paper with one of my kids, my daughter, when I was pregnant with her. And my baby was clean. I stayed. Uh, this is when I realized when I got pregnant with her, um, because my <laughs> daughter had died, my other daughter, Brenda, died. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to have, I didn't want to feel that anymore either. So I said, the next time I get pregnant, I'm not going to use. Okay. So I didn't. So I had a healthy baby. <laughs> baby girl oh, that, that's great uh, glad to hear that and mm-hmm. I made sure she was I was clean and healthy I don't think I did was smoke a couple of cigarettes but that was it okay. uh, so what I, you you changed in your whole you got into ministry how did you get into the prison ministry okay so pastor uh Dr. Roby neighbors um when I came to Community Baptist Church um uh, he used to do testimony service. Mm-hmm. 
So he called me out the crowd and I came down and he was like, uh, my main name is Phil. So he was like, at this time I wasn't married yet. He was like, Sister Fields, uh, tell us your testimony. And that's when I told them about the drug deals and I told them about prison. And, and so he said, you're a good fit for um, a ministry that we have here. But he never told me what the ministry was. Mm-hmm. So one day um, there was a group of women and they got up there to talk about the prison ministry. And I said, oh, I would love to do that. I said, because then I would be giving back to my community. After all the stuff that I had took out of the community, it's my turn to give back. Mm-hmm. I always have believed that whatever I did wrong, go make it right. Mm-hmm. Don't leave it undone. Mm-hmm. So that's good. You got into the prison ministry then. And so, what, okay. so it was at first, it was a problem because I was a felony. I, I was so wondering I did, how you got passed out. Okay. When I did the application, <laughs> I put no. And they found out that I was in jail and that I had did five years of state probation. And so uh, uh, the chaplain at that time told uh, one of the sisters to uh, help me fill out the application again and resend it. Saying Mm -hmm. all you got to do is um, say yes and the reason why. And then tell them why why you think prison ministry is a good fit for you. And it's sort of the same thing I said when um, you introduced me, you know, that um, I believe that I can make a powerful impact among women inmates. Because I've been there. I wore the green suit just like they got on. They'll relate more to me versus that somebody like um, Minister Williams who had never been to jail before or any other sisters because none of them had never been to jail before. So they didn't have that testimony, but I had that. And so the sister that worked with me, she worked hard with me to get me in that prison ministry. Finally, the doors got open and I was able to go in. And so I had to do like this six month um, probation trial where I had to watch what they were doing. And so this was the training. So I, I went down to Cheatham and I took the training up. And then I just sat and observed what they were doing, uh, how they break in groups and how they pray and how they talk the Bible study. Okay. And uh, I said, this is something I can do. Yeah. And so I started that. I started there that like 2005. And then I became a Sunday school teacher in 2007. And then I got called to be a preacher in 2008. Okay. But prison ministry and <clears throat> all the ministries that I have joined and been in for years uh, to come, um, I have always had the passion for that. It takes a great deal of prayer. It takes honesty. Mm-hmm. It takes, um, you can't walk in there like you're afraid of them. Okay. Yeah, you have to be one of them. Okay. And um, one of the things that I seen sitting back and watching them was that neither one of the, the other ministers or, or sisters was one of them. So. To them, we was just another group, another church group having ministry. We were just getting into Minister Jackson's recount on how she started giving back to her community. There was just too much to air on this episode. Don't worry, we'll have it available for you to listen.
Now, let's discuss my takeaways from our interview. First, I like to say it is just as easy for a woman to go to jail as it is for a man. And this is usually due to low self-esteem. Second, mostly these women are not even conscious of their unhealthy dependency on men who most of the time introduces them to drugs. Reality doesn't kick in until much later and they are really shocked when they find out where exactly they are, the position they are in. They usually think it's pretty fun at first. It's not fun when you get locked up. Third, when a woman turns around, she really turns around hard and she gives her all back into society or whatever she left off on. She becomes very productive. In this case, Minister Jackson, she became a very productive citizen. She's been back into the prisons trying to get other women to see where they are and so that they can turn their life around. Now to those listeners who want to listen to the last part of this interview, access to listen will be given to those who subscribe to our mailing list. See the show notes for details. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Until next time, I'm Michi J. Wishing you a week filled with blessings. Thanks for tuning in to the show. For more information on our guests and resources, visit prisonerspardon.com. If you're enjoying the content, follow, like, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, please be sure to leave a rating and review. Until next time, God bless.